0: I'm just grateful to be here today, and I just, uh, you know, as was mentioned by Mylene, this is kind of vacation season. Who's going on vacation this summer? Anybody going anywhere? Anybody going anywhere really exotic, like you know, Europe or an island or something? Where are you going? Where? Spain. Oh my gosh, how nice! That's the coolest. All right, love Spain. That's great. Anybody else going anywhere? Anyone going to the beach? Who's going to the beach? I know some of you already went to the beach, some of you go quick, you know, start off the summer, your summer vacation's already done. Um, Some people just go to grandma's house, right? (laughs) We just drive down to grandma's house, that's it. Some people are going to their backyard and having a staycation, which I totally can get into that as well. So, uh, you know, what's the most frustrating thing, though, about going on vacation It's when you can't, well, coming home is a bummer. Yeah, that's true. Um, Although sometimes you're ready by the end of a vacation, especially if you're with kids, you're ready to come back. Um, But the most frustrating thing is when you can't get there. When you're trying to get there uh, and there's flight delays, there's traffic, your car breaks down, I don't know, all that stuff that delays you from getting for where you want to go. And um, when my kids were growing up, they considered me bad luck on flights. Because every time, and it's kind of scary to think about, but it's actually true, that every time we went on a flight, it was always delayed. It was always delayed. It was canceled. I can remember racing through... Um, I think it was the Dallas airport, and I had a kid in my hand whose like feet were like flying behind me because we were running so hard to get to the next gate because you know our thing had come in late or whatever. We've had we spent hours in airports with the kids sleeping on top of their luggage because we had to reschedule flights and so on. And so this never seemed to happen when it was Paul with them, just Paul. It was always so they blamed me, which I think was highly unfair. Um, but come to think of it, even growing up. Okay, so maybe it, maybe it is me. I don't know. Growing up, even growing up, we were always had problems traveling. Now, we didn't fly when I was a kid. We drove everywhere. But we often went from Rochester, New York, which is where I grew up, um, and we would travel across Rochester State and across Massachusetts and meet family. We, my family had a lot of family in Massachusetts, so we'd meet at Cape Cod or something like that. And so we'd meet my aunts and uncles and cousins and so on. And every trip... Every trip, we broke down, and it looked like this. There should be a picture here of my dad. I wish it was my dad, but it wasn't. But, like, this is exactly the image I have of every vacation, is dad under the car, on the side of the road. Like, this is what he did. He could fix anything. So he always got us going. I, I'm always amazed by that, but he always got us going somehow. But um, this was every trip. And, in fact, I have a great memory of one of these situations where we were somewhere in the boonies. I, I can't remember if it was in New York or if it was in Massachusetts, but it was way in the middle of nowhere. Fields, farms, you know, there's just just empty forests, all this and we got stuck like this. We're on the side of the road. We're, there's, we're nowhere near anything. And so my sister and I got out of the car, and we started walking around. And what do we find? But along the side of the road are all these wild blueberry bushes just dozens and dozens and dozens of bushes and they're all full of fruit because it's the right time of year. So first of all my sister and I like, you know, chowed down as many as we could possibly eat and then we're like we got to bring these with us on vacation. And so we dumped out tennis ball cans and filled them up, you know, with blueberries. We found every bag we could in the car. We filled them up with blueberries. And when we finally got to Cape Cod, my aunt who is one of those wonderful aunts who Um, can cook anything from scratch with no recipe. Do you know people like that that just, you know, it doesn't matter? She's like, I'm going to start cooking. And she made us blueberry cake and blueberry pancakes and blueberry muffins and blueberry pie. Like, we just ate blueberries all vacation long. So it's a great memory of, of 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 a problem at first. But we wouldn't have had all that fun if we couldn't have gotten to where we were meant to go. Right? If we'd had to turn around and come back, we would have never had all that fun with... Uh, my Aunt Joe and the blueberries. And so this is one of the things about life, right? We want to make it to where we're supposed to go. Life is like a journey. and We want to get to where we're meant to be, um, where we're supposed to be going. And every one of us is on a different journey. We have different places, but we all want to know that we're going to get to the destination that we were intended for. And I've got a word for us today that as Christians, you and I have a common purpose to each one of our journeys, Even though it's very different journeys, we have a common purpose, and that is that we're all on mission for God. We're all on mission to spread the love and the word about Jesus. And, you know, you might have thought I was going to say that our common purpose was to worship God or to know God or love him, and that's all true as well. But it's interesting that at the end of his life, Jesus made a real point of his life here on earth, that is. He made a real point of telling his disciples, I've got something for you to do. I need you to do something. He says it, first of all, in Acts 1, 9 and 10. He says, be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And if you know your ancient Roman uh, geography, you know he's saying Jerusalem, which is your city, Judea, your region, Samaria, the next region over, and to the ends of the earth. So it's like, I want you to be my witnesses everywhere, locally, regionally, Across the world. I want you to be my witnesses. And he says something very similar at the end of Matthew and of Luke. And we'll have the scripture up here. Matthew 28, 18 to 20. He seems to be harping on this point right before he leaves the earth. He says this. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Amen. So see, you and I were not saved from, from our sins just to be brought into friendship with God and so that we could then just go about our little lives and be happy with our own little little circle. Yes, God loves you. He saved you so that you could come into relationship with him, and he wants beautiful and wonderful things for your life. But the story doesn't end there. We're meant to pass it on. We're meant to tell others about what Jesus has done in our life, the difference that he's made in our life. We're saved so we can bring others the light and joy of Jesus. That's what being a kingdom person is all about. And Christianity is a passed-on faith. Paul said, what I received, I passed on to you. And so what we've received, who are you passing it on to? Who are you passing on what you have received? Paul puts it even more strongly in 2 Corinthians 5. This is because of what God had revealed to him, what God had done in his life. He says this, for Christ's love compels us. We just sang that song, compelled. Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. He was compelled to live for God and tell other people about it. Compelled is a strong word. It's a very strong word. It's almost like there's an irresistible force that you just can't help but talk about Jesus. Is anybody convicted by that? Do we always have that compelling need to tell people, to uh, to help them understand how much Jesus means to us and what he's done in our life? Do we have that? I know often I get distracted, self-absorbed. Um focused on me, and so in some ways we get off the main point of our journey a lot like my dad under 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 the car on the side of the road. We get a little stuck. We get a little stuck. You and I are on a mission, and fulfilling that mission is what this series for the next six weeks is going to be all about. Now, you may be here today and you're not a believer. You're like, I'm not compelled by Christ, and that's all right. I'm really glad you're here. I'm glad you're listening. I'm glad you're able to be part of the fellowship of God and experience worship with us and hopefully a lot of love from us here. And I hope that what you would get today is a glimpse about why Christians are excited about their faith and why we should share it. But I also hope you'll see that often we have not shared it well, have we? Often we have been pushy. with our faith. Often we have been judgmental. Often we've not been respectful of people with other faith systems who have different beliefs. Often we have not been like that. And for that, I want to say I'm sorry. We should not be like that. This, I hope what this series is going to show us is how kind and respectful Paul always was. We're going to be looking at the Apostle Paul and, his, and what, how he did it. We're going to see how respectful he always was when he was on his mission for God how kind and respectful, and yet he was powerful, and we're meant to be the same. We're learning. It's like if you find a new restaurant that has the best hamburger there is, like you want to tell people, like you got to go there and have this hamburger, this is the best, but you don't walk around with a hamburger and shove it in people's faces, do you? <laughs> no, you tell them, go and see, go and see, go, go buy one of those hamburgers and see how it tastes to you, how it tastes to you. So, Let's learn together how we can be a loving and respectful and kind witness of what Jesus has done in our life. Amen? Let's remind ourselves of our vision statement as a church. Every now and then we should remember this. It is Gate City Vineyard is a welcoming, come-as-you-are community of Jesus followers who seek to spread the love of God wherever we go and invite people to experience that love for themselves. Let's read that together. Gate City Vineyard is a welcoming, come-as-you-are community of Jesus followers who seek to spread the love of God wherever we go and invite people to experience that love for themselves. How much mission is in that statement? It's not all about us. I mean, we, we're welcoming. We want to come, have everyone come and experience Jesus and hopefully become Jesus followers. But then what? What? So that we can spread the love of God wherever we go and invite people to experience that love. For themselves. It's right there in our mission statements, what we're all about. And here's the thing there's a few of us here who've been Christians a really long time. Okay? I won't point out any names uh, because I'm among them, but some of us have been Christians a long time. We're older Christians, not that we're old, we're just older in our faith. Um, but one of the things that happens when we get a little bit along the way in our faith is we can sometimes lose a bit of that fire to share our testimony, to share what God's done in our life. And I don't know if it's because most of the people we hang out with are Christians anyway because we're in church and we have church activities all the time. I don't know if it's we've already shared it with all our neighbors and friends and nobody wants to hear it anymore, so we're done. Um, you know, I don't know what that is, but I think sometimes we lose a little bit of that fire, um, and so we kind of think we're done. You know We did that. Next generation, go ahead and share the faith. And I want to challenge us on this. This is not how the kingdom advances. All of us older Christians out there, Um, we are still meant to go out and tell. And find new people to tell about what Jesus has done in our lives. It's this is how the church grows. This is how people find Jesus is by hearing it. It's a passed-on faith. It's only a passed on faith. And I want to say to a few of you who are younger in your faith, who've got a fire in your belly because you can't believe what Jesus just did for you. I want to say to you, I'm so glad you're here. Light a fire under the rest of us, okay? Don't let us down. Don't let us don't let us get away with being lazy. Say, come on, let's get out there. Let's go prayer walk this neighborhood. Let's go to this outreach that we're having downtown. Let's not miss these opportunities to to show the love of Jesus wherever we are. We need each other. We need, we need each other. This is the single biggest way people come to faith is by other people bringing friends, neighbors, family members into their homes, having coffees, bringing them to Bible study, bringing them to church. That's the single biggest way. There was a Catholic center for missionary nuns in New York that I used to love to go to. Uh, from time to time, and they had this quote on the wall. So these are missionary nuns, and nuns that were sent out to go abroad and do missionary work, and they called them missioners, is what they called these women. And it said this, a missioner, or one on mission, must be a contemplative in action. Our hearts must be on fire with the love of God and of souls. And I just love that Our heart, we must be a contemplative in action. So we're contemplative. We're we're always resting in the presence of God, listening for him. But our hearts need to be on fire with the love of God first. It's got to come from our love for God, that he's made a difference in our life, and that we're we're just in love with him, and we're so thankful for him. And then that pours out into a love for souls. It's a fire that causes us to want to tell others about him. And this fire helps us to want to creatively share the gospel, to go do good and bring justice in our world, to to help others, to boldly invite people into relationship with God. And so this is what we're going to be talking about for the next six weeks. And our main character of this series is going to be probably one of the most effective people in sharing their faith, probably one of the most on-fire persons for God and for souls, and that's the Apostle Paul. All right, we're going to follow the Apostle Paul on his travels. Once God got hold of Paul, he never stopped talking about Jesus. He planted church after church after church. He raised up leaders. He went back to those churches again. Um, he wrote inspired letters to those churches. And so we're going to learn from him. We're going to learn from the best. And we're going to follow the travels of the Apostle Paul. They started about Acts 13. So if you want to read in your devotions at home, you can start at Acts 13 and start reading through. And we're going to be covering a lot of the material um, that's in there. But you, some of you may know that Paul and I, my Paul, Paul Graham, not the Apostle Paul, um, <laughs> went on a trip uh, just not too long ago to Israel. Um, but, but we went on a similar trip about seven years ago. And it was called a Journeys of Paul trip. And it was through Turkey, Greece, and Rome. I actually went with the same professor that I went with for to Israel from Gordon-Conwell and a few other um, professors and leaders who knew the area. And they taught us all the way through these cities in uh, Turkey, Greece, and Rome, including Ephesus and uh, Corinth and Athens and all these places where the Apostle Paul shows up. And these are the journeys that Paul took after So let's get our history right. We had Jesus who was on earth and he died, was resurrected, um, was on earth and then ascended to heaven. The Holy Spirit came and the church was formed in Jerusalem, but then it began to spread out. And so people were sent out from Jerusalem and then later on from Antioch, a church a little bit higher up that also got big. And so they were sent out to all of the region to plant churches. And Apostle Paul was one of those people who was sent out and planted many, many of the churches that we will hear about. Ephesus, Athens, Corinth, and so on. And so I'm going to bring you what we learned. This is going to be, it's kind of fun series for the summer because you'll feel like we're traveling a little bit. You're going to see some photos. Um, we're going we're to be on a trip together. Um, but there's also some serious lessons about how we can share our faith. No one was more effective at it than the Apostle Paul. So we're going to learn from the, from the best here. We need to learn this because our church will not thrive unless we are able to say, we, are, we have a Judea here. We have a Jerusalem, a Judea, Samaria, right here in our midst. How can we winsomely, respectfully, kindly, with love, share what Jesus has done in our life and invite people to experience that love for themselves? Amen. So um, I'm going to skip a, a slide here and we're going to go ahead to talking about the Apostle Paul. So I'm going to just give you a little bit of background. Today's a little bit of an intro sermon, and then we're gonna uh, get into some more detail about that. You're gonna get some cool stuff today too. So, and we're gonna I'm gonna end with a little bit of a challenge for each one of us, which is this. Uh, but we'll start with this talking about Apostle Paul, since we're gonna be traveling with him. He was an instrument chosen by God to do, uh, to do the spread the good news. Um, there were many things about him that uniquely suited him to this job. And so, um, first of all, he was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was trained by one of the best rabbis, well-known rabbis. So he was, a, he was basically a Pharisee, um, very well-versed in the Scripture, uh, really understood the Scripture, really knew Jewish life and the Jewish law and so on. So he was very respected among the Jewish world. But at the same time, he was born in Tarsus, which was a Roman city. So he was a Roman citizen, and he grew up there. So he would have known... Greco Roman pagan life as well. He would have understood all of that and how that infected the world around him. He was also obviously an intelligent and skillful communicator and passionate about what he believed. Whether he was against Jesus or for Jesus, he was passionate about it. um, And you could see that in all his letters. But most importantly of all, he was radically changed by Jesus. Radically changed. The reason Paul was so passionate about Jesus is because Jesus turned his life upside down. Uh, you can read his story in Acts 9, but basically, he was persecuting the church, throwing Christians in jail because they, he felt as a Pharisee, it was against his Jewish understanding, and then God just knocked him down on the streets of Damascus, uh, appeared to him, and said, I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting, stop it. Um, and so, uh, you know, he was basically blinded in that moment, and went off to a person's house, and a couple days later, Ananias, a Christian, came um, probably trembling in his boots to come to Apostle Paul, pray over him, and Paul was filled with the Holy Spirit. And so Paul made a 180-degree turn, went from persecuting Christians to now being a biggest proponent of this faith that Jesus died for us, died for our sins, came to bring us new life and set us free. And so um, that is, is Paul's story. Only because Christ was real to him could he then be compelled to share it with others? And this is the challenge that's going to run through today's message, which is, is Christ's love real to you? Because the more and more real it is to you, the more you'll be compelled to share it wherever you go. It's, it's easy. Once you're excited about it, it's like that hamburger. If you're excited about that hamburger, you're going to tell people about it. And so the more and more Christ's love is within you, when more and more you've experienced his love, then you're going to be compelled to share it with others. Let's talk about the journeys. (coughs) Paul did three missionary journeys, and I'm super excited today because I have a pointer. I thought, you know, Tim always pulls out a pointer on the finance meeting, and why should only the finances get a pointer, right? So so, um, I got a cool pointer. So I'm going to show you the three journeys of Paul. So if you start reading in Acts 13, Paul took three journeys, all right? We're going to talk about where he went, okay? So, just to give you um, perspective, way down here, it's off the chart, but it's Jerusalem. Okay? So, the church started down there, um, but then it grew. And... Antioch became a second kind of center. Uh, It was a big church there, both Gentile and Jew. In fact, fascinating, very multicultural elder group there. That's another teaching for another day, but that's really pretty cool. So they started out in Antioch. It was Paul and Barnabas got sent out by the elders in Antioch for this missionary journey. And so what they did is they went down here to Cyprus. They picked up uh, Mark along the way. And then they ended up in Perga. So I want you to remember Perga right here. Okay, It's right on the coast, right in the middle of Pamphylia. And that's where they start first, because you're going to see some pictures of Pergae in a little bit. And then they went up here to Antioch in Pisidia. So there's two Antiochs. Don't be confused, all right? So this Antioch and this Antioch are two different Antiochs. This is Pisidian Antioch. Um, And it's right up here in the center of everything. If you can see, you've got to think about Turkey as this big thing right here. It's kind of the center of the whole thing, people coming east and west, a very um, thoroughfare. So he went there next, and then he went to Iconium, Lystra, and Derbe, and then kind of made his way back. And then from there, uh, ended up sailing back to Antioch. Okay, so that was the first missionary journey. All right, let's go to the second uh, picture. Second missionary journey was Paul and Silas this time. Barnabas went off a different direction with Mark. And they again started from Antioch, but this time um, they started over land. So they ended up first in Tarsus. Now remember, that's where Paul's from. So that's his hometown. So maybe he stopped to pick up supplies, say hi to mom, you know, who knows, right? He was right there in Tarsus. And then they went back through the churches they'd been through before, Derbe, Lystra, Lystra, Iconium, Pisidian, Antioch. And then um, an interesting story, we'll get into a little bit more later, but he wanted to go into Asia, he wanted to go into Bithynia, but the Holy Spirit forced him into Macedonia. (laughs) So um, he ends up over here in Macedonia, and this is how you hit um, Thessalonica, you hit Berea over here, and as you go down here, you get to Athens and Corinth. And then he comes back, makes a quick stop in Ephesus, and then ends up back in Jerusalem and eventually back to Antioch. So that's the second journey. Last one uh, is similar to the second one, all right? He starts again in Antioch, again goes over land, stops in Tarsus, stops through Derbe, Iconium um, and Lystra, and Antio- Pisidian Antioch, again, always in that center spot, think, remember that too. Um, this time he does is able to go through Asia and stops through some of these little cities in here, in Ephesus, including Ephesus, and then revisits all the same ones he was in before, Thessalonica, Berea, etc., um, all the way down to Philippi, Philippi, all the way down here to Athens and Corinth, comes back again, back through there and then finally ends up going down to Jerusalem. A couple of interesting things about this. First of all, in every single city where he would go, he would kind of follow the same pattern, where he would preach the gospel in the synagogue, then outside uh, in the the marketplace, wherever he could, and then uh, he'd form a church. Wherever the gospel goes out, church is formed. I know it's hard to believe (laughs) It was especially hard to believe in New York. We were like, does anybody get saved anymore? Like, it was the the Northeast is so hard that way. And yet, when the gospel goes out, people come to Jesus. So we need to always have faith in that, that people come to Jesus. Whether they come in droves or in small numbers, it doesn't matter. They come to Jesus because it's truth, and it resonates with the human heart. So, you know, everywhere he went, he formed churches, then he raised up leaders, and then he went on. But what you can see here is the pastoral heart of Paul, because he keeps going back to the same churches over and over again. To go back to them, to care for them, to see, how are you doing? He doesn't let go of this new, he doesn't get someone saved and then move on. He wants to keep coming back and say, how are you growing? Are you discipling one another? How's the leadership doing? He'd do leadership training. He would help these churches every time he was going back to the same places over and over again to make sure that they were strengthened and they were firm in their faith. It's such a message for us uh, when we when we share our faith with someone, we just sort of drop it on someone and let them deal with it. But we keep coming back. We keep pastoring and loving those people. Um, a couple of interesting kind of um, biblical geeking point geek out points here for you. If you look at these um, churches through here, oops, no, go back to the to the uh, there we go. These churches in the middle here. I'm going to read them off for you, and you tell me if they sound familiar. Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis. Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Anyone recognize where those are from? Revelation. The book of Revelation. So the very beginning of the book of Revelation, he speaks to each of these churches, and they are all right here in a little circle. I never realized that till we traveled there, that they're very close to one another. It's almost like they were all sister churches, probably planted at the same time, all struggling, all probably pretty small, but yet they're all in supporting one another. And trying to help each other. In fact, when Paul um, gives his letter to the Colossians, which Colossae is right here, um, I was very disappointed about Colossae. When we visited Colossae, I was like, oh, we're going to see the ruins of Colossae. It's one of my favorite books. And it's just a hill. Because it's all under the ground still. Nobody's excavated it. So if you want to do a PhD project, (laughs) go excavate Colossae because it's completely, it's all under there and things we would find out about the Colossians if we could dig in there anyway. Um, But the book of Colossians, at the end of Colossians, Paul says, share this letter with the church in Laodicea and then also read the one that I sent to Laodicea. So, God, so Paul's sending letters to all of these churches. He's encouraging all these churches, and they're all sharing the letters and helping each other out. I just love that. I just think that's cool um, that they're working together like that. Um, the other thing I'd like to point out is that Paul grew up in Tarsus, which is right here. It's only about 200 miles from Perga, where they started the missionary journey. So this is not that far away. This is not like going to Thailand. It's more like going on a missions trip to Virginia. <laughs> I mean, it's not that different from our world here. I mean, of course, there's some differences, but um, same for him. Like, these were these were cities that he would have understood. They would have felt somewhat familiar. We'll get a little bit more into that later. Um, some unique aspects of Rome at this time. Of course, it was a cruel time. Punishments were harsh. Human life was cheap. We know justice wasn't all that good. Uh, if you think about the, the trial of Jesus. Um, so this was a tough time to live. There were Jewish people spread out throughout these cities as well because the Jewish people also got persecuted at various points. So they're spread out. Some cities are more Jewish than others. Some are more Greco-Hellenistic, Greek, Greco-Roman um, than others. But there was probably a mixture in most of the cities. And the third thing I'll say about the, about the Roman kind of culture at the time is that they worship tons of gods the pantheon of gods. And this is a picture everywhere we went, every city we were in, there were these statues and altars and temples to these gods everywhere we went. This is Artemis, this is Heracles, And even to the emperor, you you worshipped the emperor because he was also considered divine. And so everywhere you went, it would be like walking down Main Street, and here's the temple to this one and the temple to that one and the temple to this one. You could just stop anytime you needed to, make a little offering for fertility or for rain or whatever it was that that God was all about. Um, It was all over the place. In fact, one writer said it was like a a relentless barrage of paganism. That it was like kind of like going to Las Vegas when there's billboard after billboard of enticements. There's just constantly all around you. So this is the environment in which the gospel first went out. We think we have a, a tough environment now. But the Holy Spirit managed first century Rome. I think he can manage 20, you know, the 2300s now. We, I, he can manage where we are um, right now. Now, here's what I another cool kind of thing to point out about all of this, that this. Even though it was a rough time, This environment was uniquely suited for the gospel to go out. And it's like God was working behind the scenes. The Holy Spirit was working behind the scenes, even through the Greeks, even through the Romans, to create such a situation where the gospel could go out easily and fully in this region. And let me explain to you why. The first huge part of this, and every archaeologist will tell you this, and, and biblical historian will say, the Roman roads were a huge part of how the gospel was able to go out. Because Paul and his companions and all the people that were going on, and the other disciples too, all the other apostles went out in different directions. They were able to go on these roads. And everywhere we went, you saw these very familiar roads um, with, with pillars on the sides. And all along here are whatever. It's like Main Street, right? So it could be Shops. Uh, could be a few temples or altars. There could be some government buildings. It was all along the sides, but these Roman roads you saw everywhere. Here's this is Perga, so that was that one that down by the coast. Um, let's then we'll look at Laodicea, which was more in um, in Asia. But again, these Roman roads with the pillars on the side were everywhere they went. Here it is also in Ephesus, and so you just saw this wherever you went, which meant that there was easy travel. So this was one of those reasons that the gospel was just able to go out. And not only that, but certain cities and certain places became crossroads where people would come from east and west and north and south to, bring their, to sell their goods and to, or to move and to find new work or whatever. Um, and so the next picture is of um, Pisidian Antioch, which I remember, or actually maybe the map is next. Let's see. What's, what's the next one? Yeah, the map is next. I want to remind you, Pisidian Antioch, right in the middle here. Okay, so you're going to see a picture now. This is like a crossroads. Literally, we stood at the crossroads in Pisidian Antioch where people would come from east-west, they'd come from north-south, and how smart of Paul to start there. (laughs) He said, this is the center. This is where everything's going to be happening. There's going to be all these people here. Not only is there going to be a lot of people for him to minister the gospel to, but now if anyone gets saved, they get to bring the gospel back home with them easily on these roads. So it's fascinating the way the Holy Spirit had that all set up in advance. These cities ready to go, the roads ready to go. The other thing that's in place uh, that made it easier for the, the apostles as they were going out is water. Um, Romans were great at putting in water systems. And so this is back in that again, that little city on the coast. And this is the Roman road uh, on either side. And then if you do the next slide, you could see the inset. This is the little canal that went through the middle of the, ro- of, the, um, of the roads. And so most of the cities had something like this. They had canals running through them. They had pipes. Um, the Romans were brilliant at getting water and fresh water, clean water from the mountains. If you the next slide, um, they're coming, uh, an aqueduct in the mountains heading down into La- Laodicea. You can see the little hole. So they had pipes. I mean, they were real smart engineers, and so those, some of, many of those pipes still are available. Um, some of the fountains still work in Rome and different places. So um, there just was ready access to water. Again, necessary if you're going to be traveling around bringing the gospel to people. The other thing that made it easier for the for the gospel to go out was the predictability of every one of these Roman cities. So not only did they have have the roads and they had the water, but everything about them was predictable. There were different parts of them were predictable. It's a little bit like if you go into Main Street, any town USA, right? There's going to be a Main Street, there's going to be a grocery store, there's going to be gas stations. There's certain things you just expect to see uh, in any city. And it, and you, once you find them, you know where you are. Well, it's the same thing in the Roman cities. Um the one thing that they had in common everywhere they went were the agora, or the marketplaces. So I'll show you here. Um... This is a marketplace, and it's literally like an outdoor mall. So you walk through like this little entrance, and these are all little shops and stalls. So people be sh- selling spices, leather, tools, whatever it is. Walk around in there, um, and it's like a little outdoor mall in Hierapolis. Ephesus had the same thing, big, huge open area, much bigger, uh, where they, again, you could just buy whatever you needed here. If you go to the next slide, uh, again, more agora. This is in Athens. This is kind of more in it, so you don't see kind of the from the from a, a distance. But these are the little stalls, um, and you could see it was kind of cool. They even had restaurants, like you could see where they had um, kind of a kind of a pot type of a thing where you could see they could have cooked underneath it. And so it's almost like there'd be, like, food, like takeout. (laughs) Um, And so they'd have food there, and people could take their takeout and go. So, I mean, it's very modern in a weird way, Uh, even though it was all in stone. They had Corinth as well, had a big square with many, many stalls and shops all along the side, all these kind of malls. So this would be present in every place, and they took care of every need, including if you had to go to the bathroom. So these are the public toilets in Corinth. Uh, You see three little holes right here and two little holes right here. So if you had to go to the bathroom while you're shopping, they don't want you to go home and take your money with you. They made sure there, was, there were bathrooms, right? Um, I'm assuming that there were, like, wooden coverings over this whole thing, you know, structures around it. I'm pretty sure they weren't just sitting out in the middle of the marketplace going to the bathroom. Um, but, again, just they thought of everything. And so it just this was to be a predictability of the Roman cities um, wherever they would go. The next thing that's predictable would be the Roman baths. And they had baths, every again, every city we went to had these big areas with baths that they would have be filled up with water. Um, and here's a, just a fun little archaeological fact. The way they heated the baths was this thing called, yeah, put that back, that was good, uh, the hypocast system. You can go back to that one. Where'd it go? There we go. There's a hypocast system under the bath. So this is under the floor. They have these, like, little... I don't know what you call it, like tunnels almost, or openings, and at one end, they'd have a furnace blazing, and so the furnace would be putting hot air underneath the floor. They had heated floors, for crying out loud, Um, and so that would heat the water, and so the, the pool that was nearest the furnace would be like the hot tub, and then the next pool over would be like the lukewarm tub, and then the next tube, you know, pool further out would be the cold one. So, you know, again, brilliant, brilliant, and... Just something that they would know, everywhere they went, people gathered at the pools, at the at the it's like the it's like a cross between a pool and a spa, you know. So they had the hot tub and the whole thing, um, but they would know people would be gathering. This is how to find people. This is how to meet people. The last uh, archaeological piece I'll give you here is that they saw they also every every city had a theater of some kind. And so this is a Roman theater in Hierapolis, a beautiful, beautiful theater. You can imagine sitting out there watching a play or some kind of performance uh, in the beautiful outdoors, a gorgeous theater. Um, There's another one uh, in Pergamum. uh, And you could see, look at, look at, and if you can imagine sitting here and looking out over this view as you're watching some kind of play. If it looks steep to you, it is. The next picture shows you just how it looks when you're in it looking down. It literally feels like you could roll down the thing. Um, but that's how they sat and beautiful theaters. So again, people liked entertainment, just like us today. Just nothing's that different under the sun. Um, so there was the predictability of all these archaeological things in addition to the fact that they all spoke the same language. We can thank Alexander the Great for that who came through before the Romans and he established Greek as the main language of speaking for all these marketplaces. So again, do you see how Jesus, how the Holy Spirit set up in advance all these things to be in place so that the gospel could go out? That Paul could show up and start speaking in Greek, he could show up at the baths, he could show up at the theater, he could show up wherever people were gathering in the marketplaces, he could could go to the synagogues, and he could speak Greek, he could talk the language, he knew what to expect, he knew the people. And God had set that all up so that the gospel would go out, and it went out from city to city to city to city to city to city. Isn't our God cool? So God set this all up for the spread of the gospel at this critical time in history when it needed to go out, it needed to go out. Um, from where it was. Now, I bring this somewhat to, to nearing the end here by asking us the question, has God set the stage for us? Is our world now ready to hear the gospel? Is there, are we set up to hear the gospel? And I would say, yes, yes, and yes. Um, as every age, God has set things in place so that the gospel go, can go out. Um, one of the things we have that, that Paul didn't have was this incredible, extensive communication network that we have um you know internet social media tv phones podcasts every kind of resource to draw on we have and i you know sometimes that can be a blessing and sometimes not right i mean you get everything out there so it can be a little bit of an information overload and it's also often unclear what's true and what's not what's fake news what's not right all of that we know that that's true but on the other hand we have an opportunity like no other generation to put out the word of god to put out what God has done in our own life and using our own personal connections with people and our own Facebook pages, not to be obnoxious, but just to say this is what God's done in my life. I'm so excited. Here's a, here's a podcast I listened to that I thought was so great that just points to Jesus. And, and we can be part of that because we all have access to that same kind of communication. Um, here's a few ideas, just just practical ideas, ways you can communicate. There's dozens and dozens, of course. Um, you can do a Facebook share from our Gate City Vineyard page. So if you're home sometime listening to the Gate City Vineyard um, live stream. You can say, and you know another friend is home, say, hey, this is what I'm doing this morning. I'm, I'm going to church online. You want to go to church online with me? And just send them the live stream. Let them uh, hear it with you. There's VBS, obviously, and other posts that we post about all the events we're doing. Anybody's always invited. So if there's someone, God put someone on your heart and said, Wow, they have a kid. Maybe they'd like to come to VBS. Then share them. Share it with them. Um, message it with them. You can share the link of any sermon on our YouTube page. So you may not know we have a YouTube page for Gate City Vineyard. If you just get on youtube.com and type in Gate City Vineyard Church, uh, up will come our YouTube page with all the sermons that I've I've preached and anybody else here has preached. And you can just share the link with anybody. So if a sermon speaks to you and you think, wow, you know, my my nephew would really appreciate this, you know, send it to him. let the Lord use, and again, with, with kindness, with gentleness, with respect, not, not in their face. But um, we also have said this before, but you can do a Yelp and a Google review for Gate City Vineyard. This helps Gate City Vineyard get, become known out there. So you can get on Yelp.com and you can type in Gate City Vineyard and type in a review. Give us five stars. Um, no, you write as many stars as you believe. I'm not going to force you to do five stars, but I hope it's five stars. If it's not, tell me. Um, and Google reviews also. Go on to Google. Just type in Gate City Vineyard again in the Google. Uh, and don't go to our website, but go to the Google page on the on the left side, and you can um, put a review there as well. There may be podcasts that have resonated for you. Emails, um, f- text, Facebook, Instagram. Connect with others. And I want to say this, in life-giving ways. In life-giving ways. Let's not be sharing all the nonsense and the divisive stuff. We're coming into a, a um, an election soon this does not add to our witness <laughs> to post a lot of stuff about the election I know some of you are more into that than others but let's post about Jesus <laughs> let's talk about what's changing our lives um, and what makes a difference in our spirit and let's be the people that that share what what God has done in a good way in our life um, let's let's have this, we, let's take advantage of this opportunity we have in our environment with all this great communication that we have. And I would also say, just like the early Romans, um, there's this great spiritual and, and emotional longing in our world today. We definitely live in the pantheon of gods, right? Um, we just don't have Her- Heracles and Athena and Artemis. Uh, instead, we have money <laughs> and wealth, um, status. Family sometimes can become a god. Um, satisfaction, success, our health even, uh, all of these things. And so we have a lot of opinions out there that are all vying for people's attention. But I really believe there's just as much emptiness as ever because we all need Jesus. Jesus is the answer. We've sang it in one of our songs. Jesus is the answer to the questions. And so yet again, there's a longing out there that we never should forget um, that even when people on the front have a happy face, often there's a longing inside for something more. So never be afraid to talk about what Jesus has done for you. It's not a time for us to point at other people and tell them what they should do. No, it's a time for us to simply talk about what Jesus has done in our life. The last thing I'll say about our culture and how we're set up to, to spread the gospel is very much like the Romans. American culture is familiar. You can show up in any town and you can find the mall and you can find the diner and you can find Main Street and all of that. And yet there's also a lot of variation in our culture, right? We have cultures within our culture, um, different types of groups of people, ethnicities and um, economic class and whatever. We have different locations even. It's a little different from here in Virginia and South Carolina. It's a little different. The culture's a little different. And so it is on us. To be students of the cultures that we're in and that we touch and to learn what what are people all about what do they love what are they afraid of what do they need and be there to love them in their world Um, this is something that we can do it's part of our mission to love people just where they are who they are Um, we're going to be talking a lot about that in this series all right so we'll get to more of that later the gospel is still the best news there is do you agree with that it's the best news there is. We got better news than anybody's got. Better than the best hamburger. Better than the best steak. Um, it's the best news. And so I hope you're excited for this journey that we're on together. That God has set the stage for us, um, and how He set the stage for us to be missional, to be the kingdom of God here on earth. God wants to use us for that. It starts with this question, and this is the challenge and the question that I'm going to ask you today. And um, Perhaps the band can start to come up at this point as well. The question is, does Christ's love compel you? Is his love real to you? Because as remember, only as it's real to you will you want to share it with anybody? If only if you got something good, do you want to share it? If you got something lukewarm, who wants to share that? And so today I feel like we must be asking the Lord, can you set my heart on fire? And maybe some of you today have never asked Jesus into your heart. You don't know, you don't you don't know God's love yet, and this is an opportunity for you to say, I, I want to know more about this. Maybe today's not the day for you to decide, but to say, Lord, I'm just opening up my heart to you. I want to hear. I want to hear, if, see if you're real. Show yourself to me, Lord. Help me to start to listen for your voice. And a few of us may realize that the embers, while they're there, they're, 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 they're working their way down. <laughs> we need that fire stoked up a little bit. I want you to think today, Think about the difference that Jesus has made in your life. I want us to just take a moment. Think of where you'd be right now if it weren't for Jesus. Think of the way he saved you from your sins, even way back, way back when, the very first time you called out to him. Think about how he has set you free from fears, from worries, how he's healed you. Think of how he's pulled you through. Dark times, hard times, and yet he was there with you, pulled you through, gave you a new faith, new hope. Let that ignite a fire within you. Ignite a fire of thankfulness. Oh, thank you, Jesus. This is the best news there is. best good news. Just heard a new song by Lauren Daigle called Thank God I Do. And in the verses she talks about how life's been hard and how she's been fighting fears and so on and then this is what she says in the chorus. I just want to read it to you. I don't know who I'd be if I didn't know you. I'd probably fall off the edge. I don't know where I'd go if you ever let go. So keep me held in your hands. You're my safe place, my hideaway my anchor, my saving grace, and my constant, my steadiness, my shelter, my oxygen. I don't know who I'd be if I didn't know you. Thank God I do. Thank God I do. Can anyone say an amen to that? Thank God I know you, Jesus. Thank God we know you. Thank God for what you've done in our lives, Lord. What a glorious, compelling Savior you are. How you've shown love. Let us not keep this great news to ourselves, Lord. Give us a fire in our hearts of love for you and a love for souls. Let's just take a moment with that. We're going to go into communion in a few moments, but I could just take a moment and just reflect to thank Him in your hearts for what He's done in your life. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Where would I be without you, Lord? So many ways You've been faithful, Lord. You never gave up on me, Lord. faithful renew in me the joy of my salvation Lord renew in me that first love when I first came to you such a surprise may not forget those moments You're the same today.